Welcome to Start With Your Podcast, where we explore startup universe, innovations, startups, and investors. Today, my guest is Sara Guemori, principal at Atomico. She's responsible for data-driven initiatives like research, sourcing, investment opportunities, and portfolio work. In our conversation, we cover all of these aspects, deep dive in tech stack behind Atomico's BOR platform, and discuss the ways how to shape data-driven culture at the VC firms plus some practical hacks. Also, Sarah is one of the people who kickstarted Data Hunt community for data people at VC firms. Now over to our conversation with Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for being uh, Happy to have you over to the Star Watcher Observatory, where, yeah, you're the first guest after the summer. So let's jump in. Uh, we're still technically in August, although it's the last. That definitely feels like the last week before back to school mode kicks. Yep, off. yep, yep, yep. Back to school uh, will be interesting uh, autumn and winter. I I think. So, tell a bit about yourself, your background, and uh, how you have ended up at Atomico. Yeah, of course, sounds good. Um, so actually, I wanted to get into venture um you know for for a long time before I actually ended up in Atomico and um and one of the advice that someone gave me at the time was to get some experience um as an operator in a in a scale up um so I ended up spending two years at um at a company called um well now it's called data.ai it used to be called AppAnnie and it was a mobile intelligence uh, company and um, and I moved there from uh, investment banking, so I had spent three and a half years in at J.P. Morgan, uh, in a, I guess typical investment banker role, like doing M and A and and ECM, and um, and I really wanted to transition more into the the venture and and startup world, and that's kind of how I ended up at uh, Data.ai. And what I actually came across was uh, a lot more than you know uh, just a. Uh, the opportunity to have more of a business development slash, you know, uh, operator role was actually the space itself. Um, so the company was running basically in this alternative data space where um, they were getting a lot of data from smartphones and iPhones uh, all over the world and then packaging that data into um, into a platform that then you know they could sell to lots of different types of customers. And um, and I realized that there was so, so much value in this alternative data space um, that, you know, you could sell this to uh, Tesco, uh, you could sell it to a hedge fund manager, um, to a gaming company. There was just literally no limits to the types of um, the, the different types of ways that you could actually leverage that, that data. And I think oftentimes the limitation was um, understanding what that data actually was about and how it could be leveraged and, and creating insights, um, but also creating actionable insights. Um, and so that actually is what my role was within the company, um, essentially taking all of this data and making sense of it and creating actionable insights so that then we could show the power of the platform to, to different types of customers and then hopefully get them to, to sign up to, to the platform. And that's where I really encountered the, the, you know, the huge value that they could bring to the investor industry. 
Um, and uh, and I kind of found my path to venture that way um, because um, actually one of the the customer of <laughs> of Alpani was Atomico. And so I was put in touch with uh, with Tom uh, Vimeyer, a partner at Atomico, um, because he was looking for someone to come and, and help him um, build a function uh, called Insights. And uh, and when I came across the role, it was actually very very similar to what I was doing for for that data company, which is was essentially how can we better equip um, the investment team and the firm more broadly to make data driven decisions. Like how can we make sense of data and then use that to um, enable you know investment activities across the firm and um, and so actually it really resonated a lot with me because going from you know supporting salespeople to kind of sell better the platform to essentially like supporting investors to um, find opportunities and and also you know convert um, uh, convert founders um, it, it actually there was a lot of uh, parallel there. So that's how I ended up uh, at Atomico. Um, I, I joined uh, four and a half years ago, um, and it's been quite an interesting journey because, you know, at the time, I think there was very, very, very few functions like this um, in the venture capital world. Uh, it was obviously a lot more developed in other parts of the the capital stack. So you know, everyone by now should know about you know how hedge funds operate and how they actually leverage um you know data at scale and alternative data in, in particular um but it wasn't so much um the case at uh for, for venture capital firms and um and so when i joined the, the the firm at the time it was quite different to what it looks like today um and so it's been really interesting for me to kind of build up that function and also kind of the um, the way that we actually deliver data and insights um mm. with so data and insights, um, where in the value chain you operate with data? Like, let's say on one end, you have purely just data sourcing and in other end, it's an IPO or exit. So where yeah. you are? Yeah, so I think what I always like to think about is, um, you know, very much like how you would go about product building. In general, um, there is always like an exploration phase where you try to understand, you know, where can you add the most value? Um, where are the low hanging fruits? You know, what are parts of of that stack? You know, when you think about the the venture capital market stack in general, like, and, and you then try to break down every bits of it. Like, how does um, you know an investor today? go from you know discovering a company to investing in a company to then exiting that company so that whole stack and you kind of break it down into like blocks and you understand you know where are the biggest pain points um what is the hardest bits to do and uh, and then you go through a phase of exploration to kind of understand okay how would data support um and how would also workflow better support um this stack to make it more efficient um, make it also just um, better in general because then you can also it's not just about the efficiency but it's also about you know can you become a better investor because of these tools um, and so that's really how we approached it um, and at the time when I joined um, the, the the mandate was very um, I would say you know high touch 
Um, so we were supporting the team on very specific pieces of due diligence and essentially almost acting like a consulting firm within the firm. Um, and I think what I realized very quickly is that, again, there was a really good parallel there with my job at um, Data AI, because when I joined, it was also very much with this consulting mindset. But what I realized is that there's a lot of things that you do over and over and over again. And once you've really explored the value and you've understood the problem and the pain points, you can actually come up with a solution that is that becomes then um, much more scalable and productizable. Because once you understand, you know, the pieces of it that um, you can essentially, um, you know, uh, automate, then the, the piece of the consulting work uh, becomes very, very little and actually um, becomes self-serve. And that's kind of the ideal end goal that, you know, we can empower and augment the team here without having to systematically being involved. And so that is very much the same journey that we took at Atomico, where, you know, we would start with the, the, the first problem, you know, sourcing, which is obviously um, a big piece of, of the machinery of a venture capital firm, but also I would say uh, the low hanging fruits and where there is the most um, data today that is actionable. Um, and so we started with that approach and very much like you would, um, you know, basically build a startup within a within a startup within a company. We um, we started with an MVP. So and the first MVP was very very simple, very very manual, but just so that we could prove the value of it. So we started with a one specific geo, um, and I literally had uh, put together a Google Sheet uh, where I manually aggregated data from different data sources um, just to show that you know, actually having all the information in one place and then being able to essentially create signals on top of these data um, could it enable us to, you know, discover opportunities that maybe we hadn't talked to, um, but also help prioritize the time. And, and then basically you would go through the list from the most interesting to the least interesting based on the signals. And that was very much the first, you know, MVP and kind of proof of concept. And then from there, you can start to say, okay, well, this is valuable. Yes, no. Then we want to start to automate this. And, and that's when we got, you know, more engineering power behind it to, to really help us, um, you know, take this to the next level. And so that's been the journey for, for Atomico. So it started very much as, you know, one team. So we had um, more of an insights data team. And then we have an engineering team that was focused a lot on uh, building software within the firm. And eventually, you know, those teams were kind of merged. And um, and now we are one team called Intelligence. And it's become a lot more centered around data and how do we actually make the most of, uh, of our data stack and data model, which um, I, I can talk to in more detail as well. So, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned data sourcing. But then I guess you after the MVP, you productorize that and then you move down the down the line. Exactly. So I think that's exactly the approach we've had we've had so far is that you know we've basically decomposed that whole journey into uh, pieces. So you have sourcing, you have due diligence, closing and winning, um, then you have follow-on and uh, supporting portfolio companies for with value creation. And then eventually you also have uh, supporting with, you know, exits. And so those are different um, different pieces of our offering today. 
and they are at different uh, stages of their journey when it comes to self-serve and, and productization, uh, because we, we actually believe that it's really important to understand the, I guess, what makes our firm special, you know, what makes the individuals that are within each of these functions special, and how can we support them and augment them the best we can. And so a lot of it goes to um, really having that functional knowledge so that we can then embed that into the products that we build for them. Um, and that's really what I think then differentiates what we're building here versus you know, what you could buy um, on, on the market, uh, because then we can encode some of the you know, institutional knowledge that we've built over the past 10, 15 years into products that are actually uh, a reflection of that. Um, so, but to do that, you need to do quite a bit of research and you need to spend time with, with people in their functions. So that's what we've, that's our, basically our model. We have, you know, my team very much focused on being quite embedded um, within the investment team, but also the other functions that we have uh, here. So we have a, a growth acceleration team, which is very unique in the markets uh, where we have all these very like super qualified functional leaders that will support portfolio companies across, you know, all kinds of um, issues uh, that they may have. And so from there, we get a lot of uh, functional knowledge around, you know, what would be valuable for a startup that's looking to expand to another country or looking to hire, you know, top talent or preparing to go uh, public. And across each of these problems, you know, there's a way that data can augment and, and really help um, you know, shorten the time to to insights and the time to action. Um, and so that's what we're kind of scoping out um, with them. And then over time, we'll have capacity to then build product suites around that as well. Mm. Uh, what's the name of the platform? <laughs> so currently, the name of our platform is Boar. But it is under review. Um, so we're doing a little bit of... Unofficial uh, name then. <laughs> Yeah, so right now it's the official unofficial name. Um, but we yeah, we're definitely doing a bit of thinking about branding. <laughs> well, that's a great name. <laughs> so one thing is having this technical power, but then it's actually you as a team, you create tools which shape the company culture. What has been the journey over these 4.5 years for you like, hey, here's the Excel, which produces some signals, and then it's actually day-to-day -day embedded job together, working together on uh, with the platform. Um, yeah, can you elaborate on that, how people have adapted or how you hack the culture to get people to use products? Definitely. I think, you know, if you talk to, um, if you talk to anyone who is doing this, this job or is in this function in venture, I think you'll have always the same thing, which is that there is definitely a gap between, you know, building the best products uh, you could ever want and adoption. Uh, I think that is a reality of, you know, the the industry we're in. Um, and I think in general, you know, it, it was always like a really interesting paradox for me that as a venture firm, you invest in, you know, in the most innovative technologies, but actually like very few venture capital firms are data-driven or are really like thinking about how they can, uh, you know, leverage technology for uh, for their own model. And so that's been um, a big part of, uh, again, my role and um, and the, the, I guess, the user, the 
the business, the users the, that are within our team um, is really to help with uh, stakeholder management and also to help with um, yeah, training, educating the, the people in the firm and, and getting them to become champions um, of the, the initiatives that we have. I think we're still on a journey there and um, and I'm really happy with where we are uh, at the moment, but there's always more to do. And um, and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to a few things. One, it's definitely around trust and um, and getting people excited to try new things that are potentially not quite uh, aligned with their current workflows. Um, but as much as possible, you know, designing uh, products that are as close to how they operate is going to help. And that's why we've always focused on, you know, the real use case, the real like business problems that they face, because that really has helped um, for us to kind of embed within the way that they operate. I think that's number one. I think number two is incentives. Um, so that's something we've been thinking a lot about and uh, and ensuring that there is an alignment of incentives with um, essentially the the North Star or the, the targets that you have as a as a data team, because at the end of the day, you know, if if there's nothing that's um that's linked there to in, in their own objectives, then it's gonna make it a lot harder. And the reason is simple, like investors are very, very time poor, they have lots of different priorities. And so if there is nothing that's gonna kind of um like if there's no forcing function on their end, it's very easy for them to to deprioritize it. And even though they have the best intentions, you know, they're always gonna at some point have to make a decision and they're gonna focus on the things that they're gonna get rewarded on. Um, so I think that's the second one. And the third one I think is really around psychology. <laughs> and that's something I've been really interested in. Um, it's like, how do investors think, you know, and how do they get intrinsically motivated? And um, and actually you find that it's quite a range of, of personas. And, and different ways that that people react to to things. And I think really going quite deep there and understanding the people that you work with uh, can go a really long way because that way you can tap into some of these, um, you know, insecurities or motivators. Um, and that really helps um, then also get them on board with, with some of the solutions because then you present them as, you know, solutions, things that will help them do a better job. So I think a combination of these three um, are, are really important. And obviously, like you need um, the, the management to, to be behind those and, and really reiterate the vision and why we kind of need to invest. Because oftentimes what you will see is that um, there's always a trade off between short term and long term. And um, and we know that there's a, a long feedback loop as well in venture in general. So it's kind of how can you break that down in really as small cycles as you can so that you can start to build that feedback loop in terms of the value that this um, this actually provides. But still, you'll have to have a bit of a leap of faith that this is going to be valuable for the firm in like three, five years from now, um, and then decide to make the investment today uh, versus like just operating as at status quo um, until you're really forced to to innovate because everyone else around you has kind of uh, done it first. Mm. Yeah, there there seem to be the pattern that you need, uh, uh, so to say, a champion in the management who is uh, always supporting this initiative and keeps on reminding everyone. Yes, <laughs> that is. Uh, do you have a hack? Some hacks uh, 
what you have uh, experienced or can share how you get people to use the products? We have a lot of hacks. Um, <laughs> I can share. I can share one. Um, so you know, one thing that is probably true everywhere again uh, in venture firms is that investors are very competitive. Um, that is a fact. And so one thing that we did is that we created a, a leaderboard <laughs> who is processing processing the most signals because um, we obviously have a, an inbox and you know people get um, some signals and companies allocated to them. And, and so we run a competition um, twice a year where it is a really good prize at the end of it. So it definitely um, gets people motivated, but I think more than the prize, it's just also, you know, nobody wants to be last at, at anything. So it does help um, to, to get that little bit extra motivation um, to show like the, the leaderboard on, on the screen and, and to share it back as well with the rest of the firm. Um, so, so that's one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. All leaderboards are yeah, yeah one of the hacks there, definitely. Uh, I think actually another very easy hack too is in something that we're trying to do more of as well is just communicating, communicating the wins, you know, showing the, um, the, the times where, you know, the signals was really helpful, where it really, um, it really helped um, unlock an opportunity or, it helped um, get ahead of the game. Um, and I think it's it goes in both ways, you know, where, when it's worked for us. And, you know, I think uh, especially now the partners are, are really uh, good at, um, you know, sh sharing some, some good success stories there. And so that also reinforces the trust and um, the, the, the positive perception within the firm. But also sometimes when, you know, we've missed a deal um, that we shouldn't have because, we had those signals generated and we just didn't act on it. So both of these are, I, I think, also really powerful ways to, to get people on board, um, especially like the ones that I would say are more passives or even sometimes detractors. You know, if they, they get exposed to more of these stories, then I do think it helps to convert them eventually to, to become champions as well. How big is the technical team? So... Our team is a multidisciplinary team. So we essentially have two engineers, uh, one data scientist, two, I would say, more data analysts slash, you know, business uh, users. And then uh, Tom is heading the team. Um, so uh, all six people in total. Hmm. Yeah, uh, not not over overly big and uh, not just one person uh, uh, initiative either. So... No, for sure. I think we are. Um, we're lucky. I think it's a it's a good, sizable team. But yeah, it is also a team that is, you know, going beyond just basically this the data driven initiatives. So we do have quite a lot on our plates. <laughs> mm. Yeah, which brings to the next topic, which is uh, building own solutions and tools and buying services and uh, data. Yeah, so I think it's it's a very, very interesting topic and something that I'm quite, um, I'm always very focused on because um, what, it, it really all depends on when you start this journey and how much resources you have, um, how much budget you have, and also in general, like, um, I guess the the appetite to, to build something very differentiated and very unique. And so let me go a bit more in details here, but 
you know, obviously we started uh, on this journey like now quite a while ago. And um, and especially, you know, Atomico uh, was founded by Nicholas Enstrom, who is uh, the, the who was the founder of Skype. And so very much coming from this like tech entrepreneurial mindset. And so from the start, um, he wanted to build Atomico as a tech firm. And there was a really you know strong desire to then have best in class tooling within the firm. And uh, and back then when he started, there wasn't really any good tools um, out there for, for venture. Um, and so he basically hired some engineers to start building software for, for the firm. And so that's why we have, you know, quite a, a really, really nice product in-house called Boar, which I mentioned earlier, which is essentially um, our own version of an Entity 360, which enables you to be this single source of truth um, that can uh, project all the information that we have on companies and, and people and investors, et cetera. So it's this uh, you know amazing Wikipedia uh, that we have that's that's fully custom and, and fully built in-house. Now obviously when I joined four years ago, as I mentioned, you know, the landscape had changed quite a bit already. And we started to find that there were quite a lot of tools out there that were quite good um, and specifically built for venture. So we did not see as much of a need to keep investing in building software for the firm. And so that is when we started to transition towards more this data team, because actually, you know, the data asset was, is, I think, the, the most valuable part that you can spend your time on today, um, because there is a big piece of it that's going to be built on proprietary data. So being able to, to really, you know, collect it and structure that information in a way that's going to be useful in the future is is it's key, but again you have the same, uh you have the same challenge and uh, the same questions that come up. You know, do you then just buy, uh, the data from from data providers or do you try and collect it yourself? And uh, and again, there you have uh, different schools of thoughts. I think for us, because um at the end of the day we don't we're not going to be a a huge team. You know, we're not going to have like 15, 20 people working. Um, in that function, I think where we then net out is as much as we can, we'll buy data, especially if it's really good quality data, and then uh, we'll focus our efforts on some of the more you know, value creation that's on top of that. Um, and so we've kind of moved away fully from buying software, so that uh, from building software. So we're now just you know by building the best tech stack that we can with uh, existing solutions. And on the data side, we're uh, focusing on, you know, procuring the best data sources rather than going and building scrapers and, and scraping, you know, different source, which I know some other VCs do. Um, and, and then focusing our efforts on consolidating this data, um, creating intelligence on top of that, and, and then when necessary, um, creating tools. But those tools are very... Um, how can I say they're very hacky, they're very much workflow based. And uh, as much as possible, we don't want to build, um, you know, really nice, fancy UX, UI, um, because again, that creates a lot of maintenance and, and potential tech debts, which we have already with, uh, with Bohr itself. So we're trying to minimize building any of that um, of, in the future. Mm. So it's like you have you're you're plugging in a lot of different kind of sources and then you try to have this your layer between yeah. between the yeah. team and those sources you have this layer exactly and actually, i should also say something which is that 
again, you know, for someone starting, for example, today, um, they would also have a very different set of of uh, of options because and and again, based on your budget and uh, the team size, you may actually decide, you know what? I don't even want to basically aggregate the data myself. I just want to buy bill pay for an aggregator. And so today, you know, especially on the sourcing side of things, um, you have a lot, it's a lot more commoditized. You have a lot more um, providers out there that will actually sell you the insights directly and will do all of the signal uh, creation themselves. Uh, so there is also that option for, for teams that are, you know, maybe smaller, that don't have the same budget to go and procure data sets. I think for us, um, the reason that that just doesn't seem attractive, um, at least not yet, is, um, well, first of all, we can do a lot more with the data than I think what some of these providers actually uh, deploy. Second, we have much better control um, and there's no black box element. We know exactly you know, how we're leveraging this data and we can tailor it um, to the specific needs of our investment team as well. And, um, and then I think in general, there's um, all these additional use cases that we're able to unlock that goes beyond just uh, you know, getting a signal on a company but that can help with other parts of that, you know, that uh, stack we discussed at the start. Um, so, you know, helping with, uh, I don't know, finding great talent for portfolio companies or um, or even, you know, helping on, on finding customers, et cetera. So we're seeing a lot more value from basically playing that role, that aggregation layer, uh, even though it is quite a lot of work as well <laughs> and a, a lot more complicated than it sounds uh, too. So yeah, the, yeah, I I like your uh, remark on that. Uh, you try to align, basically, you align with the team and the knowledge in the team. So you augment the data from that perspective, and that's probably not that easy to replicate for the third party because they simply don't know the team and the thinking. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's correct. And um, and I you know we've we've obviously looked um, we look at all of these platforms too and I, I always like to understand you know what they're doing like how they're innovating because you can also well you can get some good ideas too but it also helps us to keep a pulse on kind of what's the value add of of our team and you know how does that differ because there's always this question you know at some point maybe one of these platforms is going to be better than what we've built and we need to be. I'm mindful of that and just make sure that um, that then at that point maybe we switch and we can spend our effort on something else. So so it's uh, it's quite a fast moving I think market and um, and there's lots of players that are kind of emerging every year trying to do some some something within that stack. So it's it's good for us to keep exploring the the landscape. So can you share can you share uh, some of the technical uh, approach you're using so you mentioned uh, like a spreadsheet <laughs> that's good that's like at the beginning but in the other end of the spectrum would be like building huge large language models uh, with your proprietary data where what can you share about in between yeah so again you know i would say um it's it's really important for people to like not be discouraged because obviously if i start telling you about everything we do People think, okay, well, I need a huge team to be able to do this, you know, and um, and I, I don't have the resources, etc. And I think what's really important is that um, you can start working on these data-driven initiative 
no matter the scale of the team, no matter the resources, I think there's always um, there's always value in basically setting up the foundation right. Um, and then it's essentially just a set of building blocks. And so if you get those rights, then, you know, in one, two years, three years, once you get more buy-in within the firm, you can start to do really, really cool stuff really quickly if you have those things right. And so for us, um, it, it really started with um, getting the, the tech stack right. And so that's something we've spent quite a bit of time on um, in the past couple of years to really get us to a position where now, you know, we are moving just so much quicker on everything that we want to do and build because the foundation is there. And, and I think that's a critical piece and, you know, people shouldn't um, underestimate the effort that goes into that. And it's also painful because it's very invisible to the rest of the organization when you're doing that. So being patient and uh, and getting getting the, the buy-in to do this is, is really important. So essentially the way that our stack works is, is quite simple. We have lots of different data sources. Um, so we have uh, both data providers. So as I said, you know, data sets that we procure and, um, and obviously a range of SaaS applications. So what's really important to us um, that maybe, you know, at the start, we didn't necessarily, wasn't like a big requirement, but now is by default a requirement is that those SaaS applications need to have, you know, a good API and that we need to be able to connect these back into um, our, you know, data warehouse. And so we essentially bring all of this data um, using, you know, prefect workflows into um, our, our data warehouse. And, um, and then we use now also DBT to help, you know, really transform and, and, and create really good quality um, data into, um, into that warehouse layer. And then that basically feeds um, into um, different sets of applications. So we have um, some, you know, uh, visualization tools that we use like um, Looker, but also even like that can just spit out in, in, into Google Sheets as well so that we can still like service some of the use cases that the team is, is used to. Um, then we also work with, uh, you know, an application uh, database. So we work with Postgres and, um, and that's where we kind of extract a subset of the data from our uh, data warehouse. And from there, you know, that feeds into, again, different um, applications. So like the board that I mentioned, um, you know, Signals is another one, which is the, the, the inbox that uh, provides companies that people look at. And so we have this um, uh, atomical ID mapping aim. It's our entity resolution model that uh, sits on top of that and, and really helps us then make sense of, of all these different data sources. Because obviously, as you can imagine, you know, um, if you're putting data from, you know, Crunchbase, um, G2 reviews, um, product leads, whatever the, the data source can be, um, you need to find a way to um, to basically uh, create a connection between these different entities. And so that's uh, what AIM does for us. And um, and again, it sounds very simple, but uh, but it's actually quite complicated to 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 make sense of, of these different entities and, and just making sure that they are all stored within like a single ID that then can help us, um, yeah, bring all of this single source of truth and all of the data we know about these companies in one place. Mm. Yeah, getting everything converged to one ID, that's a <laughs> holy exactly. grail. But so this is basically, you know, already quite a few different building blocks but this is like really the, the foundation of then everything else that we can build on top. 
And so, you know, obviously we've uh, we've done a few different things with that. Um, so I've mentioned, so the entity 360, so BOR is one um, one way to to explore this data. We also have, um, you know, a way to create a, a search. So like you can basically create uh, infinite numbers of lists and um, uh, based on all kinds of criteria. And again, you know, the fact that we're able to then provide you this super supercharged search that can look at things like you know interactions, so taking information from our CRM, but at the same time understanding like everything about that company, the stage, the location, how much they've raised. Like you know, you can basically do like much more than what you could do if you were just in PitchBook uh, looking for series uh, seed companies uh, in Europe. You know, like you have all this rich context that is that then becomes really what stands uh, help us stand uh, apart from you know just a, a regular data provider it also enables us to do really cool stuff with llms so obviously that is uh, been quite the flavor of the year and uh, and we've also been quite keen to experiment with that um i think in short the my my perspective on this is that there's still quite a, a gap between kind of the promise and the reality of, of LLMs and that it is hard to build a utility, I think, at the moment, a real utility, but it is sufficiently exciting for us to actively engage with it. And so we've been very intentional with this because we want to make sure that we keep our focus on delivering you know, impact and value rather than like gimmicky products, which is very tempting because Obviously, when you look at some of these demos, it's it's um it's really cool. But then, if you actually try and put this in 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 practice, you realize that oftentimes um you know it just doesn't quite get you all the way there. And so yeah, the reality here is just there's still a lot of foundational work that we can do and spend time on. So just finding the right balance of um you know activation things that are really easy for us to to get off the ground and deliver immediate value versus like exploration and, and making sure that we build stuff that are also future-proof once some of these models catch up. But so what we've done so far is very aligned with our product ethos. So we've spent both time building in a hacky way with LLM-powered tools um, so that we can see you know, how uh, what kind of value we can get out of them, what kind of applications we can build on top of them. And we've also done tri trials with solutions that are kind of out of the box. So again, range of, of spectrum of polish, you know, we've basically tested pre-seed companies all the way from obviously like looking at some of the more established um, companies out there that have started to build products in the space. And um, and I can share some learnings if, if that's helpful. Yeah, that's, that's exactly was my questions. What have been your learnings uh, from playing around with uh, LLMs? Because that it's it's kind of a, a bit of a magic box. Before you start to touch it, you don't know what's going to come out. So it's all about experimentation. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think, long story short, I do think that, um, you know, there's going to be a huge amount of change that this is going to bring through in the next two, three years. I'm really excited to see what what that looks like. I think right now, what we've um, assessed are all the challenges that come with using LLMs. And so it's gonna be really interesting to see how um, that improves against each of these. And so I think the first one is obviously, you know, LLMs is all about prompting. And actually what we found is that it is probably less accessible 
to kind of um, a broader set of users than we anticipated, you know, be, being able to prompt um, so that you get results that are going to be valuable and, and make sense is actually, especially when you try to fine tune it to um, to your own models and to basically the organization language. Um, we tried that and we found that actually you still need to have quite a lot of, you know, really good understanding of, of your data model to be able to prompt in a very efficient way. Um, and so in the case of uh, the AI system that we built, we decided to actually abstract this away. So we actually um, are, the, the, all of the prompting is done, you know, under the hood. And um, we're just asking for very defined inputs from users to kind of remove that, that um, the risk that the, the prompts that they then serve is just not going to be good enough to actually return the types of outputs that they want. And so we spend time ourselves like improving the prompts. So that was one thing that, you know, um, wasn't necessarily what I expected at the start. Um, but I think it's it's when you now look online, like it's definitely becoming more of a topic of, of conversation. I think the other thing that was really interesting is um, the inefficiencies of it. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we try to add uh, the, the new um, AI packages that we that we had um, put together, um, it actually increased our deployment time by a factor of 10x. Um, so we had to deploy it on a separate branch to avoid it slowing down our whole infrastructure. Um, so again, you know, really interesting to see like what sort of solutions then will uh, emerge to try and, and solve that. Um, obviously latency is also another issue that we had. Um, that means that, you know, it's really hard for us to do things real time. It might be that there might be already progress there because speaking to other other companies, I think they've managed to reduce it down. But um, at least the solutions that we've tried and the one that we built in house, you had to wait that like extra five minutes for uh, an output to come back, which is not ideal. Um, the other thing that was really interesting actually, but that turned out to be quite um, positive actually was. The, the limitation of the size of the context window. Again, something that you know, people have been talking about, but actually it meant that we then had to split out the, the queries into multiple steps, uh, which um, actually probably helped improve the output in general. So that was actually something that um, maybe again, unexpected at the start, but turned out to be um, quite a positive uh, way to actually build it. Now, the other thing that is probably obvious, but I should still state is that there's also quite a big difference between different models in terms of like the quality of the outputs that we got from it. So we tried, um, you know, we tried Vertex, we tried GPT 3.5, GPT 4, and you could see that there was quite a big difference in like actually the quality of what was returned in the end. So we, we stuck with chat GPT 4. And uh, and so I would be really amazed to see you know what it would look like in two or three years from now, given how quickly this evolved, right, and the the pace of innovation. Yeah, we um, at, at Star Watcher we we call it a vibe test. Like when we when when we play around, the, the result comes back, and sometimes it's just like it's off, and yeah. then it's sometimes it's good, but it's not like uh, something uh, tangible. It's literally vibe. <laughs> it's something doesn't feel or feel good so yeah no for sure no it's it you know that's um that is definitely like an interesting one and i wish we had time to like play around more of them just to see kind of the differences um 
the the other one is it can be quite expensive. So I think you really need to make sure that this is producing value. And I think I've been amazed to see like how big of a you know cost of goods sold line it becomes with with some of these startups. Um, so you know that's definitely something to also keep in mind when we're playing around with those because again you know if it's a gimmicky product, then you know really is it worth spending all that money on it? You know so trying to balance that out, um, I think is is going to be also another another challenge. Um, and then I think something you know obviously people uh, talk about a lot are, is hallucination. And I think that's something that we are that I would say is a big yeah, it's a big discussion topic, right? Because um, when we've trialed this, uh, we've trialed a few tools. Well, you know, 80% of the time it was right, 20% of the time, let's say it wasn't. How, like, how much does that matter to your business that you're not right all the time? And I could see how for some business that's critical, right? Like you wouldn't be able to to operate in that way. So, um, and also like, again, it goes back to the to the users that are gonna be served by these products. Do they understand like how big of an issue that could be, and will they then take the the answers with a grain of salt? Will they be able to double to to cross check some of the results? You know, it just creates a lot more complexity. That actually, I think it it puts the brakes a bit on delivering like real enterprise grade products, right? Because because of that, so not something I have a good answer for, on. But again, you know, it just means that the applications of it are, are a bit more limited at the moment. Yeah, in our previous discussion, you mentioned a reconciliation layer, like that, how you, how you kind of align it with the desired outcomes. Can you expand on that? Yeah, so in one, in one of the cases where we trialed this, um, it, was, it was actually really interesting because we could essentially kind of test out the the model and then we could obviously check the what we expected to see and I think that is um where we you know we realized that actually a lot of the time it was just hallucinating and so we just couldn't really rely on it and I I mean the way it was hallucinating hallucinating was believable enough that you know a user maybe that is a bit less uh, data savvy wouldn't necessarily notice so that was even more risky because then they wouldn't bring the human in the loop to double check. So it just yeah, created um, too much uh, distrust in, in our ability to then deploy this um, for the whole firm. So we didn't do that. Yeah, that, uh, that um, the solution is in a way so smart and so dumb at the same time that it's, it's hard to figure out uh, which is which. Is it exactly. uh, cre is it uh, nice creativity? Is it objective truth or just pure hallucination? And yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that that will require quite some time to get used to. Uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, what do you think about the whole data driven VC approach and where we are as an industry? Yeah, it is a it is a really good question. Um, I think. I'm more of an optimist person in general. So I do think um, it's already come quite a long way. Obviously, you know, I you hear others uh, say we're still at um, on, ground, on ground zero, which I think is is true in some in some respects. But 
when I joined, you know, four years ago, I I felt very lonely this in the in the role because there wasn't, you know, obviously I was the only person with Tom in in, in the firm, but um, but also in general, like I I could see that a lot of VCs didn't have those functions. So I connected with uh, Francesco Correa, uh, who was a Bellatum at the time, and I was so excited to find someone that was doing something similar. And so we decided to start uh, a community called uh, Data Hunt, where we essentially hunted all these data people, <laughs> even though initially the name came from like hunting data, just simply, but I think it was more of a hunt of other data people. <laughs> um, and we started to bring those uh, people together, and it was really interesting because everyone had the same reflections. So, you know, this is a this is a nascent function. There's not a lot of people I can speak with. Um, there's a lot of things that I want to debug, but there's nobody in the firm that I can discuss this with. So it was really nice to basically have this shared experience and, and be able to connect with each other and, and kind of share learnings and. And it, I found it to be a very collaborative, um, safe space. But, you know, when we started, we maybe identified 10, 20 people. And, uh, and I'm super happy to say that now we have more than 100 uh, people in this community from all over the world. Um, and so I've seen this quite, like, evolve quite rapidly because really it's just been the space of maybe three years. Um, so there's definitely this awakening that's, data is going to play a really big role in, in venture and that actually it is at a point where there's enough maturity in that space to really deliver impact and, and value. And so uh, I'm seeing more and more interest in, in building those functions and people, you know, asking questions also like interest from LPs who are actually, you know, the, the, the investors in, in our funds who um, are asking more and more questions about um, those data driven initiatives. So there is a big pool, I think, at the moment in, in, in the markets. Now, um, it is still nascent, and so there's still a lot to be done. And I think the, 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 mo the most common market there for me is that there's such a breadth of uh, profile, such a breadth of experiences. It kind of tells you that there's not like one standard function. You know, every single fund has a different way of operating. That function has very different objectives and and um, and people focus on on different parts of that stack that we talked about so some VCS will actually exclusively focus on value creation they won't do anything when mm. that relates to sourcing you have other funds that will only do sourcing so it's very it's still very very um different depending on where you are and again you know the the investment um will be also very different depending on on the fund and the fund size. So I think it's it's a really interesting place to be, um, and I'm sure it will look very, very different in five years from now than from what it is today. But I do think it's already quite it's already moved quite a bit. And obviously, uh, the podcast, for example, is is a great way to um, to continue to, um, you know, educate and, and share learnings and, and get more people to to um, to see what it looks like behind the scene, because um, I, I hope that then also gets more people interested in, in those functions. That's the point of this podcast. <laughs> At least so far, I have uh, managed to speak only with data-driven VCs. And also, I think for me, you know, it it is um, a really, really interesting opportunity to level the playing field. Um, so one of the things I, I like to say is, you know, data is is the ally of the ally of the underdog at the end of the day, because you know it just makes it possible for companies to 
to then get to emerge um, beyond just relationships, right? Because mm-hmm. get all these proxies for traction. And so, you know, if a company is performing really well, they will be on our radar and will become, will kind of move from being just, you know, reactive and, or like basically being exposed to companies within our uh, network to actually also being proactive and, and going and, and actually building relationships with with founders that uh, we wouldn't have otherwise found, you know, because maybe they're in a very far distant geo, maybe because, um, you know, nobody in our close network has has come across them before because maybe the founder has just been bootstrapping the business so far. So I do think it's um it's a really uh it's a really powerful way as well to to help with uh, increasing you know diversity of of uh, businesses that we end up uh, backing. So there's a whole p- part there that I think is is going to be quite uh quite interesting in in uh, enabling you know more founders um to to raise money and, and get access to capital. So I will have a, a VC hat now and uh, I will ask a 10x question. Like, do you see an opportunity for data-driven approach to disrupt the whole industry as it is? Because now, now, like you now mentioned that the now it's very geography, building networks, but data approach, it's a bit different. It's more of a catching the right signals and then be more proactive. Yeah, I mean, I do think there is um, there's two ways this can play out, right? And I definitely, in my you know, in my view, like where I would love for us to end up is that, you know, the the investors' um, job will be completely transformed in in our industry, and they will be focusing their time on kind of the highest value uh, creation possible, which is spending time with founders, right? Like I think every investor you talk to. Um, this is kind of what they would love to do is just spending time building those relationships with the founders that they back, helping them um, build, you know, the best companies that they can build and uh, and just, you know, being supportive and, and bringing like a lot of value in that way. I don't think they would, they want to spend time like creating pitch decks and, uh, and you know, collating information and you know, obviously there is a, a part of the conviction building that they will have to do for, for them to invest. But I think a lot of the job currently should be automated away. And um, and so that's what I'm hoping is that the balance of where they spend their time today versus where it will look like, you know, in five years from now, it's going to be very, very different. Now, I also don't think um, having a fully data-driven venture firm, like, you know, where everything is kind of done via a machine. I don't think that also makes sense um, because at the end of the day, it's a relationships business and it will continue to be one. But it will the way that these relationships play out will obviously be very different because it's not going to be about like this access of, you know, um, you needing to know someone in this world to be able to get uh, funding. But obviously the relationship will still be key because that is what decides... Um, like who the, the the founder wants to work with so being able to give the team more time to like build those relationships with founders is probably what's going to set us apart as a as a firm um rather than you know them knowing um all the all the investors in the previous rounds and mm. kind of just limiting themselves to the deals that come through their networks 
Yeah, that was my follow-up from the startup side, but you already touched on it, that uh, the data-driven approach might enable uh, smaller, less-known startups from out of the network to actually get uh, to to the actual person and have a conversation because yeah. now you can just feed in information and it pop up on the radar rather than sneaking up in the elevator and giving your pitch to someone who might know someone who might know someone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could also say like, I'm sure some, some VCs out there might have a thesis that, you know, if, I don't know if their model becomes so good that they can, you know, with high com- like with a high enough confidence predict who which winner will be you know maybe there is a model where you would have like you could issue a term sheet and it could almost be like automated right like if you're a founder you want some capital you can input your metrics and maybe you, you know you get automated automatically a term sheet i think to some extent that almost exists already or kind of existed in a form um, even if you looked at, you know, Tiger, for example, that, that was a bit the model, right? They did all this work <laughs> and they just like give you a term sheet. Anyway, so that, you know, that is possible. But I think at the end of the day, I we still have this conviction that, you know, the best founders out there, they will always have choice of um, of who to you to get as an investor, who they want to back and who they want to work with. And I think that's where we need to stand out, right, as a firm. And I think, um, that is why we have also this amazing growth acceleration team and we can do a lot more than just provide capital because even though it's less of a commodity these days, for sure, um, it it is not going to be a, an advantage for, for a lot of top venture firms. So you kind of need to derive that advantage from other things. And those will be, I think, very much like relationship and, and support. As a matter of fact, yesterday I heard that uh, one of the partners from Atomico is hosting a dinner and a, par- a startup founder was saying that he's invited and he was super happy. So <laughs> here you go. Pe- it's a people business. It's relationships and people. It is. And, and so it's kind of, you know, how can we give superpowers to these individuals in our firm, right? Whether they are um, the talents, the talent functional lead, whether they are the, the investor, who is all about AI, you know, it's like, how can we give them superpowers so that they can basically, you know, well, make better decisions, but also uh, spend time actually building relationships and, and supporting our portfolio. And I was, when he, when the founder told me this, I was thinking about uh, actually today's podcast that probably you came up with a shortlist who could be invited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, you know, that is um, definitely something we're doing more of as well, right? It's like, how do we become more intentional about the people that we bring together? And again, it's a great example where you would have a mix of, of course, you know, it's going to be based on people's like relationships and who they want to bring in. But then you also have the data driven list that then helps you mm. you know, supplement or actually identify people that you missed out or you for- forgot about. So so, you know, those two together, I think, are really, uh, really strong, powerful outcomes. Because at the end of the day, you will never, I mean, it's going to be quite a long time before we have all the context um, structured in a way that is then, can, can then be used, right? And I think that is always the challenge that we face is how do we build that muscle so that everyone in the firm understands the value of contributing information in a way that becomes you know documented 
um, because they understand that this will be helpful further down the line, you know, and that is something we didn't talk a lot about today, but, you know, it's part of those behaviors and, um, and the systems that you put in place that then will give you those superpowers in the future as well. Yeah. So in conclusion, um, what would be your hands-on advice for, let's say we're three people, uh, team, uh, three partners, uh, one associate, and we want to, now we want to jump on, uh, becoming more data-driven. Yeah, I I have a few. I think honestly, the first one is do things that don't scale. But in, in and it's quite opposite to everything we've obviously talked about. But I think that's the way to to start is trying to really understand how you can uh, create value, how you can create impacts within um you know your own company because obviously each funds will have different objectives, will have different pinpoints. So really spending time understanding those and building something really quickly that's not going to be scalable, but at, at least can put a POC in front of someone, getting some feedback, and then being able to tailor that so that you don't you know, spend a bunch of time building something that nobody's going to use or you're going to spend a lot of money. And, and, uh, and again, you, know, you, might, um, you might lose trust and you might lose interest from, from, the, from the buyer in the organization. So I would say, yeah, first one is kind of do things that don't scale so that you can learn as much as possible before investing into uh, any kind of solution. It's really important to understand the problem really well. Um, the other one, I think, would be to just talk to a lot of people. Um, I think it's been really, really interesting to be able to exchange ideas and kind of learn from other people's mistakes, um, things that work, that things that don't work because that can really supercharge as well um, how quickly you get up to speed. And again, you know, I found that people in this community are very collaborative and, and very open. So um, so I would definitely encourage that as well. And, uh, and again, you, you might find that, you know, some things will have worked for some, won't have worked for others. So if you can understand the dynamics of the firms, that might also be really helpful to then instruct your own, um, your own um, solutions. And then I think the last one is, being patient <laughs> and I think that's really hard because um, you know there's a lot of things that have to change for this to work um, you know I, we talked a lot about user behavior um, we talked about the feedback loop that takes a while so I think it's it's really actually a, a role where you have to be quite resilient because um, you will be faced with a lot of skepticism negativity um, and it will take a while for you to kind of like basically prove the vision and that you have for, for the role and for the function, but it is definitely worth it. And I think what's helpful now is that we see that, you know, more and more people have positive proof points um, that it can refer back to. So to kind of show that this is worthwhile. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, requires, I think, a lot of patience and, and resilience as well. And I think the last one, I guess, is um, is you have to be quite creative as well, you know, and I think embracing that creativity, trying to find, you know, different ways to, to solve problems and really wanting like you have to be someone who loves solving problems and um and who is always hunting for kind of the next best solution and kind of always questioning like whether the approach still makes sense whether it's still the right thing because again you know people will tell you they want something and when you propose them with something you might actually realize that this is not what they need this is maybe what they want but not what they need and so being quite flexible and, and adaptable, I think, is is going to be quite key. 
fail fast, fail often, and keep on going. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think also, you know, again, you know, we talked about relationships, and I think it applies here as well. It is very much a relationship um, function because you need to speak to a lot of different stakeholders. You need to um, get buy-in from lots of different people because, you know, oftentimes, yes, the, the person who's going to be funding the initiative might be in the management, but the person who's going to be using these tools is going to be probably more junior or actually might be a mix between more of the junior investment team, but maybe some of those functional technical leads that I mentioned um, that are partners, you know, so it's kind of balancing out how you then work with all these different individuals. Some will be very data-driven and understand it, understand the concept straight away. Others will be very, very, uh, you know, um, how can I say, like not technical people and not understand the value of data. And so you have to be able to navigate um, every single individual and understanding how to to work with them, how to show them like how they can, how sometimes they can, you know, get more out of their job by using some of these tools. Um, and so, yeah, it is a lot of a lot about relationship and, and building trust as well, just as it is when uh, when our investment team are is looking for uh, new partnerships with founders. By the end of the day, it's people business. <laughs> it is. And I think it's a bit, um, it's almost like a, what I would say is it's an entrepreneurial role, right? It's like building a business within the firm. Yeah, intra um, intrapreneurship. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, you know, everyone in the company is a customer of um, of the modules and the initiatives that we put together. So how do you delight the customer? <laughs> is always top of mind. Thank you, Sarah. It was yeah. a pleasure to have you over. Thank you so much. I hope you liked this episode. Let me know what you think and whom should I talk next. Subscribe until the next time.